Good morning, Covenant family. It is good to be with you all today after being away the first part of July. I have a, an annual pilgrimage that I do each year going to Southern California to spend time with some friends who are really important to me, it is a, a really rich and vital part of my yearly rhythm, a time and space for some prayer and study and reflection and rest. I am most grateful. Thank you for the blessing and the gift that you give to your staff to have time away. I'd actually like to share just a little bit about the, the very first day when I was there in Southern California. Specifically, I was in South Pasadena. South Pasadena is the place where I lived for four years when I was in seminary, so I'm, I'm quite familiar with this particular neighborhood. It has a wonderful small-town vibe. But while I had lived there for four years, I had never been to their 4th of July parade. I left Austin on July 3rd, arriving to L.A. that night, so the July 4th was my first full day there in South Pasadena. I was excited to go to the parade, which is what we did. So, great people watching at this parade. Lots of kids in wagons and a variety of dogs with red, white, and blue bandanas around their neck. It's a cozy, small town. And in the parade were local politicians, lots of Boy Scouts riding on the, on the back of vintage trucks and speeding by in scooters. A Zumba class from the local YMCA danced down Mission Street. The local ice cream guy was making lots of sales. People were happy to be together. Much fun was being had by all. It really was a wonderful neighboring moment. Then we walked home, and our neighboring took an unexpected turn for me. Now, as many of you know, California is in a very serious drought. I know we are in a drought as well, but this is a whole different level. The governor of California is, is setting limits, has set limits, as California, the desert of Southern California in particular, returns to being a desert. He has set limits on urban water use, asking for as much as a 25% reduction. Statewide penalties exist for exceeding water consumption. There is a $500 fine, for example, for anyone who washes water down their sidewalks or their driveways. And people are paying attention to these fines, and fines are actually being given out. Like Austin, South Pasadena is now in a stage two drought. People are flushing toilets less, taking shorter showers, washing their cars infrequently, driving dirty cars, basically, and not washing clothes unless they have a full load to put in. However, a whole lot of attention is being put to outside use since the average homeowner uses two-thirds of their water consumption on the outside. Residents can only water their lawns a maximum of two days, but many residents have quit watering their lawns, period. Because of this, lawns that used to be so very manicured and green and growing, they are now brown and sad and dying. I've walked and loved the beautiful tree-lined streets of South Pasadena a thousand times. 
It is a picturesque neighborhood which appears in many TV shows and films and commercials, but South Pasadena is turning brown. Most of the homes we walked by that 4th of July had very brown yards. And I don't know, can you see well that that's brown with the lights on? That is a completely brown yard. There's one other picture to show you as well. Again, completely brown. It's a little harder to see with, with the lights. So we'd go house by house and we'd see these brown yards. But then every once in a while, you would come upon a really green yard. And boy, did my California friends notice that. I experienced that day what has apparently become a common occurrence, habit, and hobby for the average person living in California. It is the policing and judging of neighbors' lawns. Comments and criticisms were made every time we'd come across a well-watered yard as if we were on a judging walk. Yes, lots of comments about that yard. A culture of blame and shame is growing as water wasters are exposed on social media. Interesting conversation has begun already as far as how will these neighbors be able to live harmoniously after prayerfully the drought is over. When we are in crises, everyone blames everyone else, says John Christensen, uh, an environmental historian at the University of Cal, Los Angeles. People say, I'm doing enough, but my neighbors aren't. Our scripture this morning is about neighboring. It is very much concerned about our life together, and it gives us a very specific practice to avoid. We're going to look today at just two verses in the book of James as we continue our journey together in James. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the only one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? God's word for us, would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable to you. God, I would pray that you indeed would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would recalibrate us, Teach us about your heart and your priorities for the sake of each other and for your world, we pray together. Amen. So remember, I know you remember this, how the New Testament author, Paul, the Apostle Paul, how he said in 2 Corinthians that you yourselves are a letter read by everyone. We've been talking about this together several times this year, beginning back in January when Daryl Guter was with us. 
It came up again in the month of April as we had a conversation with Mayor Steve Adler. Our very lives are a letter that can be read by just about anyone. If we say we are Christians, then we are witnesses. We may have a good and effective witness or a bad witness, but our lives are speaking to others every day, for we are a letter read by everyone. When a person reads your life, what does it say? When a person reads our life together, what do they experience? A few years back, David Kinneman and Gabe Lyons, they authored the book on Christian. I would commend this book to you if you have not read it. This book contains a lot of research about what people think about the Christian faith from outside. Their research highlights a number of troubling statistics of how those outside the church view those on the inside, and it's an extensive study done by the Barna Research Group, and they focus primarily on young adults, on people aged 16 to 29. One of the outsider's most significant concerns about present-day Christianity, Christians are judgmental. The authors of Unchristian write, respondents to our surveys believe Christians are trying, consciously or not, to justify feelings of moral and spiritual superiority. Nearly 9 out of 10 young outsiders, that's 87%, said that the term judgmental accurately describes present-day Christians. To put this in practical terms, friends, when you introduce yourself to a 20-something neighbor and you mention your faith, then chances are he or she is looking at you and believing that you are judgmental. The perception is that Christians are prideful and quick to find faults in others. According to this Barnett Group survey, judgmental anti-homosexual and hypocritical are the top three words to describe Christians from those who are on the outside. The research, show, the research shows that Christians are best known for what they are against. It should not be this way. Whether or not Christians really are judgmental, that is the perception, friends, that people have of us. So it is pretty important that we understand and wrestle with James's statement, who are you to judge your neighbor? The fundamental notion of judging is one of distinguishing or making a distinction. It's the work of discernment and deciding, and all discernment ultimately requires some form of judgment. It is certainly right to judge between good and evil. Jesus is not prohibiting the proper and necessary discrimination that every Christian should exercise. James is not saying to us to be morally indifferent or to be neutral on everything. James is not saying that everything is permitted or tolerant. It is not an everything-goes encouragement. 
And he is not discounting the need for honest discussion and constructive criticism within the body of Christ. This certainly does not mean don't discern and do not think. However, there is a kind of judging that involves passing an unfavorable judgment upon another, criticizing, finding fault, condemning. To be judgmental is to point out something that is wrong in someone else's life, making that other person feel put down, excluded, or marginalized. Being judgmental is fueled by self-righteousness. This is where you appoint yourself as judge over another's mistake. If your motive is jealousy, selfish ambition, pride, hateful, hatefulness, or revenge, then you are judging wrongly. It's when you speak evil, talk about others, and criticize often behind another person's back. It's a spirit that tears somebody down which continually finds faults with another. It's the speaking against a family member in a way that withholds mercy. It's the misjudging people based on first appearances. It is the lowering of a neighbor in order to elevate yourself. It's the act of condemning and finding a brother lacking. It is unloving criticism or negative judgments. Why do we do this? Why do we judge others? I think for one, it simply is a bit easier sometimes to tear someone down instead of build them up. For some, it is a bad habit. It often comes from an insecure or jealous place. Pointing out someone else's faults in some weird way makes us feel better, than, better about ourselves. It gives us some sort of temporary sense of superiority. At least I'm better than him. At least I'm a bit better than her. We frequently do this from a distance. It's about making ourselves look good while putting another person in a bad light. So where is that line? Where is the line between being biblically discerning versus being overly critical? We may discern another person or group to be wrong. But when that discernment causes us to value them less, then we have crossed the line into judgment, condemnation, and rejection. When we judge, what we really want is to take God's place. Judging is an attempt to be in control as, as God is in control. And we're picking and choosing which laws we want to follow and when we judge a neighbor, we are saying that I don't want to pick and choose the law, the command to love the neighbor. And we all know that command is at the very top. So we are making ourselves God, claiming to have the right to judge. 
when only God can judge the heart. We do not know all the facts. All that can be known about another person is never known by any of us. We ourselves fall short. It is not our place to sit on the throne of judgment. It is not our place to sit in God's seat. I'd like to remind us of what Jesus taught about judging in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus paints a a picture of a person who clearly sees the splinters or specks in another person's eyes, but misses the obvious log in his own eyes. Let's read together James, or excuse me, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye, while the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Theologian Dale Bruner writes, God wants the heart that overlooks foibles, not the eagle-eyed vision that sees everything wrong. We see in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that judge not really becomes judge yourself. Most of us are aware of how other people need to change, aren't we? We are pretty good at naming off quite a ways that people in our family, people we work with, our neighbors, those closest to us, some great ways that they need to change. Matthew 7 helps us to understand that we first work on our own life. Jesus urges us to tend to the giant redwood tree in our own eye before we pay any attention to the speck that is in somebody else's eye. And when we first pay attention to the redwood tree in our own eye, then we will have the humility and the proper attitude to be of any help. To another. On Wednesday afternoons, some of you are aware of this, probably many of you are not. The pastoral staff here at Covenant Prez, we make ourselves available for community guests. We set time aside, and this past Wednesday it was my turn in the rotation. When I returned to the office following a, a really lovely noon hour Bible study with a group of women. I rounded the corner and immediately could see three men who were seated in seats ready for that community guest time, ready to be to be hosted and to have conversation. I had about 10 minutes before the time started. I was pretty freshly back to the office, so I spent that 10 minutes walking back and forth, connecting with staff members, passing by those guys several times, And I confess to you that by the end of that 10 minutes, I could feel within my heart creeping judgment about those three men based completely on their appearance 
and smell. Joseph was the first one to come into my office. And we had the most wonderful spiritual conversation. I was blessed by him. He was humble and grateful and joyful and passionate about Jesus. Friends, I was convicted by the Spirit of God and I was inspired by this brother's heart and by his love for Jesus. To criticize another is neither love nor is it the way that any of us wishes to be treated ourselves. Ironically and sadly, this encounter with Joseph and those other two men, it happened immediately following leading a Bible study with other people. But as James helps us to see, following Jesus, it isn't about serving on committees or studying scripture or having the right answers. It is about living it out, being a people who are faith in action in the gritty, challenging, everyday moments of our everyday lives, striving to love neighbors with God's extravagant love. Our family bonds in God's mercy are violated when we who have received mercy turn to judge each other. We are so prone to sinful rivalries and to conflict and to the pride of setting ourselves up as judge. So how do we move forward? How do we break the, the bad habit of judging others? I believe that everything boils down to how we understand the gospel. How we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember how God has been merciful to you. Brothers and sisters, how can we be arrogant? Our proper st stance as recipients of grace is to extend grace to others time and time again. Way too many of us are traveling through life on a perpetual judging walk. Do you know what my friends and I did together at the end of that 4th of July parade in California? As we walked back to my friend's very brown front yard, we went into the backyard and we jumped into the swimming pool. <laughs> None of us gets this completely right. Not a one of us gets what we deserve. It is all by God's grace. We who have received mercy, we are to give mercy to others. Friends, I love sharing about Covenant Presbyterian Church. I got to do this with quite a few friends when I was in California. There is a lot of love and grace in this place. But we have room to grow. I share with you that on my first two days back, I had already heard a lack of love and a critical spirit toward the Catholic Church and toward the Baptist denomination. People who prefer traditional worship and people who prefer contemporary worship rejecting each other. Mothers judging daughters and daughters judging mothers and many people judging celebrities they have absolutely no relationship with. And finally, a friend who confessed to me that she is really 
judging people who are judging others on Facebook. <laughs> this is an area where we need to grow. This is an area where I need to grow. Judging hurts our relationships with one another, and it is hurting our witness to the world. Our call is to examine ourselves and to have the courage to turn the searchlight on our own hearts rather than shining the spotlight on others. Would you pray with me? Oh God, with humble hearts, we continue the work of repentance we engaged in last week. Lord, have mercy on us. God, would you give us the capacity to live with mercy toward others? Forgive us our debts as we strive to forgive our debtors. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Set us free to live with joy and with freedom. How we need the empowerment of the Spirit to help us to keep going and growing. God, would you give us the grace to examine our lives and to forsake our sins and to turn toward you. And would you give us grace to live your gospel. We pray this together with faith and with hope and with humility in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.